This audio version of Hearts of Purpose by Gail Grace Nordskog has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by the hosts of the Monstrous Regiment podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to access the rest of this audiobook and many more. Chapter 8 Lily Bear CFO, Movie Guide and Good News Communications, Inc. Focus, Biblical Guide to Movies and Entertainment. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119 verse 105 A calling is an assignment to fill a specific part in a very big plan. Paul was called to be an apostle. He went through things that would have caused many men to quit, but he pressed on because his focus was not on what was happening to him, but on what he was called to do, preach the gospel. As I walk down the long red carpet in my silver and black gown, I feel the excitement. Publicists with their celebrities are walking down the red carpet, while reporters from major media sources are interviewing them. I hear the click of the photographer's cameras. Ahead of me is little Olivia Allen Lind, the girl who plays young Dolly in Dolly Parton's Christmas of Many Colours Circle of Love. Terry Crews, our host, the former NFL linebacker and star of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, is being interviewed. The hubbub and the excitement of the moment are exhilarating. A little while later, I join the crowd going into the banquet hall, as the smooth voice of the announcer, MacHeald, says, From the heart of Hollywood, welcome to the 25th Annual Movie Guide Faith and Values Awards Gala. Now the show begins. Throughout the evening, Directors, producers and writers of the movies that Movie Guide has deemed the best of the year in the family, mature, faith and freedom and epiphany prize categories come up to the stage to receive their silver teddy bear. Co-writer Carrie Solomon of God's Not Dead 2, winner of Best Movie for Mature Audiences, summarises the opinion of most of the winners. It's wonderful. To us, this is more important than any other award. To win an award here at the Movie Guides... This is our Academy Award, so we're honoured. Then, my husband, Ted Bear, comes on stage and shares with the 500 Hollywood attendees the statistics about the movies that do well at the box office, using 150 criteria. He gives a 15-minute report to the entertainment industry, proving that year after year, good movies do better at the box office. Ted notes that, The top five grossing movies in the world were uplifting Movie Guide award-winning movies, R-rated movies averaged box office at an eight-year low. Sex did not sell, again. Foul language did not sell, again. Graphic nudity did not sell, again. And moviegoers supported the good, the true, and the beautiful, again. Movies with very strong Christian, redemptive, biblical, and moral content did much better at the box office in 2016 than movies with excessive or graphic foul language, sex, nudity, violence, alcohol use, and illegal substance abuse. So 80% of the top 10 in 2016 had strong or very strong Christian, biblical, moral, or redemptive content or worldviews. The gala audience is made up of the top Hollywood executives and filmmakers, people who have the authority to make decisions regarding the movies that are being made in the future. This is exactly our ministry outreach to change the hearts and minds of those who are making those decisions, so they make movies that are edifying, entertaining, and inspiring. So, what was the road to this glamorous, transformational Hollywood event? 
My personal story starts in 1945 in Rosario, Argentina. Ten years later, my father, Dr. Rodolfo Milani, a prominent physician, decided he could not live under the oppressive socialist regime of Juan and Evita Perón, so he must move his family to America. I boarded a wonderful Delta Line ship with my two sisters and my brother, and eighteen days later arrived at the port of New Orleans. In Argentina at that time, citizens couldn't take much money out of the country, although Perón sent millions of dollars to Switzerland, so mother had to sew money into my father's overcoat. As we arrived in the port, we saw on the dock a shiny, new, red and white 1955 Ford Fairlane car, and we headed to Houston, Texas. The funny thing is, all the cars we ever had in Argentina were black, so of course mother was horrified, but we thought it was the most beautiful thing we'd ever seen. We arrived in Houston to see the one friend my father had there. We passed a craftsman's cottage with a for-rent sign. The next day we were settled into a new home as the furniture arrived, because father spent a day buying all the furniture and had it delivered. Growing up in Houston was a wonderful experience. When we arrived in 1955, it was a very small town with only a few tall buildings. It was such a small town that the arrival of a family from Argentina was deemed newsworthy enough to make the front page of the Houston Chronicle. As I grew up, so did the city, and I was so privileged to become a part of those initial founding circles of Houston. I became very involved in the art and social life of the city. The discovery of oil in Texas in the early years of the 20th century made many Texans very rich. Now they wanted culture. They hired the famous conductor, Leopold Stokowski, to lead the fledgling Houston Symphony. They hired the renowned architect, Mies van der Rohe, to do the extension of the Museum of Fine Arts. Their enthusiastic efforts paid off, since Houston is now one of the premier cities in America. Eighteen young ladies from Houston were in the first class of Duchesne Academy of the Sacred Heart, and we attended with our uniforms and our white gloves classes in a grand plantation home on Memorial Drive. The nuns were lovely and taught us many biblical principles, such as noblesse oblige from Luke 12.48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. The nuns, however, were concerned about me when I put in my application to Rice University. They felt that I would lose my faith, and so they actually prayed against it. Even so, I did get admitted, and in 1965 I entered the freshman class at Rice University in the School of Architecture, a class of 45 men and three women. I arrived at Rice with a copy of Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique. In that book she asked the important question which was, while you're sitting there, doing dishes and doing the laundry, is this all there is? This was the time when access for women was limited in certain professions. As a matter of fact, when I went to the head of the School of Architecture to say I wanted to join the program, he looked at me intently and said, We're a professional school here. We're training architects and not architects' wives. Thus began my feminist leanings. I was determined to be a famous architect with not much thought to family and children. I wanted to experience the world. I spent my internship year in Paris working for Julien de la Fuente, the architect who had presumably taken over the legacy of Le Corbusier. I also entered a competition to become a Mademoiselle magazine guest college editor. I was one of the twenty selected from around the country to come to New York and work on the August issue. 
It was a very exciting time that included a week's trip to Israel and meeting many exciting New York literati. Six years later, I graduated from the School of Architecture along with 25 male counterparts and none of my female ones. My thesis project for a community-owned shopping centre in the barrio of Houston was funded by the Model Cities program. Meanwhile, on the other side of the country, Ted was growing up in the entertainment industry on Broadway in New York City, as well as often travelling across the country to Hollywood. His mother, Evelyn Pierce, and father, whose stage and screen name was Robert or Bob Tex Allen, born I.E. Bear, had been stars in Hollywood in the 30s, with Bob winning the box office award in 1936. After World War II, they went to New York, where Ted's father was starring on Broadway and in broadcast network television. Ted, who was nine years younger than his older sister, grew up in a beautiful old mansion on 120 acres in Oyster Bay. A very tragic event took his mother away from him when he had just turned 14. She died of a massive heart attack, totally unexpectedly. One month thereafter, he headed for St. Paul's Boarding School in Concord, New Hampshire. Ted was devastated by the loss of his mother and spent some rebellious years at St. Paul's, although always an excellent student. Ted was to spend the eight years in New Hampshire as he attended Dartmouth College and later graduated with higher distinction, summa cum laude, in comparative literature. Before Dartmouth, Ted worked as a research engineer for Precision Scientific in Chicago, testing the flashpoint of rocket fuels for NASA. During his Dartmouth years, he designed an academic major that took him around the world. Ted, always drawn to the entertainment world, was admitted into UCLA Graduate School of Theatre, Film and Television, but was admonished by his father not to get into the entertainment business because it is a tough business. So, as a dutiful son, he headed to New York City to study law at NYU School of Law. Three years later, immediately after graduation, with a script he had written about a famous prospector friend of his father, he headed out cross-country with his best friend Peter Graves to pre-produce the movie. It was the turbulent time of the 60s. The Vietnam War was in full swing and much anti-war sentiment was found on the college campuses. It was also a time of experimentation with drugs and the hippie lifestyle of make love, not war. Although Ted and I were shielded to some degree in the academic environment, we also experimented with all these new things, including Eastern religions and mind-altering drugs. Then our lives converged. As Ted and Peter were going around the country pre-producing the movie, Ted kept having a recurring dream every few weeks about a girl, which he shared in detail with Peter and everyone else who would listen. She was blonde and elegant. When they came to Houston, they stayed with Harwood and Cynthia Taylor and their family, and their daughter Nanette. Harwood was my boss in the architect firm in Houston, called Harwood Taylor and Associates. At the copy machine, I ran into Peter and Nanette. Peter was making a copy of the script. Later, he went back to Ted and told him, I met the girl in your dream. Ted called and invited me out on a blind date with Peter and Nanette. From that day forward, we were intrigued by and in love with each other. That Christmas, I decided to go to New York to visit Ted. I never went back to live in Houston. We lived in a brownstone on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It was during this time that God found Ted. Ted had been searching for God in all the wrong places. As a member of the 60s generation, he had dabbled with Eastern religions and actually went to India. 
As a couple, we would attend services with various New Age leaders. We produced a local television program for PBS on parapsychology, interviewing the most famous New Age and psychic leaders of the time. We even met the Dalai Lama. Then, a lovely lady named Audrey Clark, who had been friends with Ted's late mother, took an interest in Ted's salvation and asked him to read the Bible and tell her what was wrong with it. I think she meant it. With his liberal education, he had an anti-Christian bias. At a certain point in his readings, the scales fell from his eyes, and he understood the message of the Gospel and became passionately in love with Jesus. I, on the other hand, had my suspicions. Having grown up a Catholic, I had rejected many of the additional things that the Catholics add to the Scriptures, and rejected what I thought was Christianity. My diary entry on the day of Ted's conversion was, And now he's a Christian. We finally married in 1975, because of Ted's insistence and my parents' pressure. Afterwards, it took me five years to understand and to come to have my own spiritual awakening. We were having struggles with our marriage, and I had decided I wanted out. Ted always tried to keep the marriage together. Finally, in 1980, on New Year's Day, as we were returning home from Darien, Connecticut, after hearing the Reverend Terry Fulham's sermon, a light bulb went on in my head and I realized the truth of the gospel. From that day, we were on the same page. We decided that we wanted to use the gifts God had given us to share the gospel with the world. We founded Good News Communications, Inc. for that purpose in 1978. At that time, Ted was head of the TV Center of City University of New York at Brooklyn College. I had taken over his position as director of the communications department at Trinity Church, where we would tape the services to air on broadcast television, as well as interview Christian leaders such as Madeline Longle, the Reverend Peter Moore, and the Reverend Terry Fulham. Two years later, Ted got the opportunity to head the Episcopal Radio and TV Foundation in Atlanta, Georgia, so we moved to Atlanta, where we lived for the next 16 years. During his tenure as president there, he was privileged to oversee and promote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which aired to 37 million viewers on CBS TV and won an Emmy Award. It was here that he had his revelation that it had taken the Episcopal Radio and TV Foundation 26 years to make this television program after C.S. Lewis gave them the broadcasting and movie rights. Furthermore, the average movie took 13 years to produce according to the Los Angeles Times. Ted realized that perhaps the production time could be cut down by equipping and helping people to make these amazing Christian movies to reach the world with the good news. By the time we arrived in Atlanta, Pierce, my oldest child, was three months old, and then Jim, Robbie, and Evie were all born in Atlanta. Ted came to a parting of the ways with the Episcopal Church, and we cleared out our basement, installed desks and the most rudimentary computers that were the latest of the time, and began the work of Good News Communications, Inc. on our own. We were making films for other ministries, and Ted travelled the world making these movies. Then a friend who owned a theatre in Atlanta asked Ted to help him select the appropriate movies that could be shown in his theatres. At that time, Georgia was one of the few states that allowed the theatre owner to make this choice. In most states, the theatre owners were told by the studio executives what they must play. That was the beginning of Movie Guide. Ted would see the movies and write a review for his radio program. People started to call and ask for past reviews. I would type them out, glue them onto a piece of paper, and print them on a copier and send them out. Soon the reviews were published in the Atlanta area Christian News. 
we developed a subscription service and became more sophisticated in the layout and comprehensive nature of the reviews and articles. We did this for over 20 years. With the expansion of the internet, now millions of people can get the information without delay on our website, movieguide.org. Because our standards are strongly biblical and comprehensive, we have become, according to some polls, the most trusted source for parents. Because the people we wanted to influence were in Hollywood, it became clear that we had to move to California in 1996. I must admit it was not something I wanted to do. I resisted even to the point of putting fleeces before the Lord. I made in retrospect quite unreasonable demands. However, God was patient with me and granted every one of my wishes. I wanted my house in Atlanta to sell before I bought the new one. I wanted to be able to stay through the Olympics. And I wanted an acre of land, a near impossibility in Southern California. God was so kind to me, He provided. There are many miracles I could tell you about that have happened along the way, both big and small. Even our moving day was miraculous. In the weeks leading up to our move, several business acquaintances and friends visited, each one recognizing that we were not ready to move. Sure enough, early in the morning of our moving day, the moving company arrived to find us woefully behind. The men quickly disappeared while I kept my head down and packed non-stop. Soon, those who had sensed in previous weeks that help would be needed showed up to volunteer. They included a lawyer, a banker and a filmmaker, all of whom had taken time off from their own jobs to help when we needed them most. When the movers returned shortly thereafter, these individuals convinced the movers that together this move could happen on schedule. So everyone, volunteers and movers, pitched in and packed us up in record time. At the end of the day, we stood in the empty home, movers and helpers together in a circle, holding hands and thanking the Lord for the miracle of the move. Those same movers were still talking about this miracle when they reached our destination days later in California. Our life may sound very glamorous, but it has not been easy. There have always been financial struggles, but God has always provided the manna for the day. At one particular low point, where we felt we could not continue, we cried out to God, We can go no further. What do you want us to do, God? I will have to tell the employees that we're closing down. That very day, we got a call from the Atlanta office saying that we had received an anonymous contribution for one million dollars. That seemed the confirmation we needed, and we set up a proper office in California and closed the Atlanta office. Two other times, significant anonymous contributions arrived exactly when we needed them. I consider these miracles. As we started the review service, it became evident to us that someone had to make decisions on what movies were being made. Someone had to make the choice to spend $104,000 on a gory, terrible movie. So we set out to find those someones and change their hearts and minds. Those someones are what Hollywood calls the green lighters, who are the studio executives who make the decisions on the movies being made. That became the focus of our ministry through the Christian Film and Television Commission. We approached this several different ways. One was to meet one-on-one -on -one with these influential Hollywood people. Another was to commend them when they make good movies, which was the beginning of the annual Movie Guide Faith and Values Awards Gala and report to the entertainment industry. In 1988, Ted received a direct call from Sir John Templeton, a self-made billionaire and famous philanthropist whose foundation is one of the largest in America, 
who said that he liked what Ted was doing and wanted Ted to write a proposal for a Hollywood Entertainment Industry Templeton Prize, like the one Sir John gave to leaders in science and religion. Ted did, and proceeded to start the annual report to the entertainment industry. In 1993, the first report to the entertainment industry took place at the L.A. Press Club. Ted, along with the famous radio host Warren Duffy, presented the box office analysis to some of the top leaders and filmmakers in Hollywood, showing that good movies with faith and values do better at the box office. The second year, Charlton Heston and other stars joined Ted at Morton's Steakhouse for a luncheon to give out the Movie Guide Awards and to present the findings of the report to the entertainment industry. In 1994, Sir John said that he wanted to underwrite the annual Faith and Values Awards Gala and report to the entertainment industry and the major epiphany prizes to honour movies that helped audiences to know and understand God better. As the years passed, Sir John's son, Dr Jack Templeton, funded the top prizes that are, to this day, awarded to entertainment industry professionals whose work upholds Christian spiritual and moral values. Epiphany Prizes for Movies and Television, the Kairos Pro Prize for Established Screenwriters of Movie Scripts with Christian Faith, and the Kairos Prize for First-Time Screenwriters of Movie Scripts Reflecting Christian Faith. This funding marked a turning point in the industry by helping us begin to host proper Hollywood events where we could more successfully influence entertainment industry executives and also reach the public with a message of how to be media-wise. Sir John Templeton's foundation was a supporter, even until Dr. Jack Templeton died in 2015. The John Templeton Foundation made it possible to turn our event into a very beautiful Hollywood Awards Gala in a banquet setting, with big-name entertainers such as Lee Greenwood, Trace Atkins, Gloria Gaynor, and celebrities such as Mickey Rooney, Jennifer Lawrence, Dolly Parton, and so many others, as well as important producers like Stan Lee, the founder of Marvel and the executive producer of so many Marvel movies, who said at the awards that he wanted to win the Epiphany Prize. All of this was by the grace of God, but not without struggles. I have been battling a very debilitating autoimmune disease that's leading to my blindness. This disease was at bay for many years, but has now progressed to the point where I have limited vision, and I pray for miracles from God. Before medication was prescribed, while doctors were still baffled by my symptoms, I hit a particularly low point in my condition. I was in pain and frightened. In those days I would lie on the couch each day, not wanting to speak to anyone. Though fearful, I did not see the point of constantly complaining to people about what I was going through. Ted had other ideas. One day he said to me, Don't you want people to pray for you? As it turned out, Ted was right. People prayed for me. They sent letters of encouragement and scripture verses for me to hold on to in the dark times. Those prayers and letters sustained me, and I am forever grateful to those who offered me hope. Through this I have learned the importance of joy and of making life beautiful for those around us. I don't always manage this, but I try. God has blessed us tremendously with the four children that I had so resisted having before I came to Jesus Christ on January 1, 1980. At the time of this writing, Pierce, my oldest, is involved in a hospitality ministry in Tasmania, Australia, called Pilgrim Hill, pilgrimhill.org, with his wife Christina and six darling daughters, Eve, Meg, Lilia, Dot, Bess and Mariana. Marine Corps Major James, my second son, 
is an assistant U.S. attorney in New Orleans. My third son, Robbie, is married to the beautiful Taylor with two children, Charlie and Katerina. He runs our office and has taken it in new directions with his knowledge of social media and greatly expanded our radio and television presences. And my youngest, our daughter Evelyn, recently married to Jeremy Carroll, is our on-air host of the Movie Guide TV show, as well as the event planner for all our events all over the world. I feel so blessed by God that in spite of our wild and crazy days of the past, He has forgiven us, wiped our slate clean, and given us incredible blessings. In the last several years, I had the privilege of designing the new office space of Movie Guide. I was able to use my old architectural skills to create an office that everybody loves. Reflecting on our history, there have been a lot of changes in Hollywood. The studios have started faith-based divisions such as Sony Affirm to reach the Christian audience. The studios are coming to us now for advice on how to reach the Christian audience. Variety magazine, The Industry Standard, has held workshops and seminars on faith-based films. This is a dramatic change from 1985 when there was only one movie, A Trip to Bountiful, with positive Christian content and so much R-rated fare. In fact, when we started Movie Guide in 1985, the major studios in Hollywood released a few movies with any positive Christian content or values at all, less than 1%. Incredibly, in 2016, at least 64% of the major movies released theatrically by the movie industry contained at least some positive Christian redemptive content. Also, when we started in 1985, less than 6% of the major movies were aimed at families. In the past 10 years, movies marketed to families have increased to nearly 40% of the top movies released in your local movie theatres. So, Hollywood is listening. Now it's time for the Christian audience to respond by supporting these movies. Returning to the Glamorous Movie Guide Awards evening where we began, the event comes to an end with an inspirational song from Grammy winners Shirley Caesar and Anthony Hamilton and a benediction by the Reverend Dr. Richard Land. As I leave the banquet hall, I am handed a lovely gift bag with several items, chief among them a complete detailed printed report to the entertainment industry and a beautiful Bible with the inscription, This Bible is a gift to you from Movie Guide. The annual Movie Guide Faith and Values Awards Gala and Report to the Entertainment Industry. May you be inspired by the good, the true and the beautiful and may the knowledge of the Word of God be a lamp that gives light wherever you walk. Adapted from Psalm 119, verse 105. When Pat Robinson accepted his Lifetime Achievement Award at this year's gala, he expressed a sentiment very much in harmony with how Ted and I feel. We didn't know where we were going to end up, we just needed to take the steps that God wanted us to. As the dust began to settle from the big event, we received several encouraging thank you letters. Here are excerpts from one received from the former head of William Morris Agency for Television. Dear Ted and Lily, At a time in which our country is longing for meaning and guidance, there is no better way for our industry to spread God's message than through celebrating His love on screen. The dedicated work that you do truly touches so many, and I am incredibly humbled to have shared this experience with you again. Warmest regards, Sam Haskell III, Magnolia Hill Productions. Now I would like to share some hard-won wisdom gained from my life experiences in the hopes that it will encourage you. Lily's Five Don'ts to Help You Succeed in Parenting, Marriage and Life Reprinted from MovieGuide.org
1. Don't create your own walls. A wall is something that stops you. You want to get somewhere. You may feel called to pursue something. You create walls when you say, I can't do that because... This doesn't mean you should throw yourself into selfish pursuits, but God made each of us with vastly more ability than we've been taught to think. This is profoundly true when you're pursuing something God has called you to do. We can think, I can't do that, failing to consider that what God calls us to do, he will provide the resources and the means to do. We can't do it alone, but we are not alone. The more you trust God and see him work in your life, the less you'll be inclined to build walls that stop you from achieving all God plans for you. There would be no Movie Guide Annual Faith and Values Awards Gala and Report to the Entertainment Industry if God had not taken our humble abilities and multiplied them with the help of thousands of people, many of whom have become dear friends. 2. Don't wait. Don't focus too much on what you hope to do someday. Focus on what God would have you do today. The only way to get what you hope for someday is to be taking constructive steps today. Movie Guide started in the basement of our home in Atlanta. It now has a beautiful office in Camarillo, California, and produces the premier event honoring entertainment with faith and values. The path between the two was paved with daily tasks completed. It is so easy to make excuses why you'll start something later. Don't make excuses. Start. 3. Don't compartmentalize. God has created you to experience more than just a job. Church, family, and your neighbors are part of God's plan for your life. They all fit together into God's will for your life. God doesn't call people to some good work to destroy their family. If you trust God, you'll be able to do His will in all aspects of your life. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, explains who makes a good deacon. It's someone who is pursuing God's will in all areas of life. In Proverbs 31, the excellent wife is good at all sorts of things. 4. Don't be afraid. Fear paralyzes. In fact, fear often results in the thing you fear happening. The phrase, like a deer in the headlights, speaks of a deer frozen by fear. Without fear, the deer could easily escape a highway before a car arrives. A deer frozen by the headlights of an oncoming car could wind up being hit. Fear slows progress. It can stop the daily pursuit of God's will. God has not given us the spirit of fear. 360 times the Bible says don't fear or don't worry, which is almost one time for each and every day of the year. We have to learn to look to him when circumstances frighten us. 5. Don't quit. It's very easy to list excuses to quit work on what God's called you to do. God did not call David to give Goliath a pedicure. He was called to do something many stronger men were afraid to try. They were paralyzed looking at Goliath. David looked at God instead. Don't focus on excuses, no matter how good they sound. Instead, focus on the times in your past when you've seen God work in your life. It can be difficult, but that very difficulty is an opportunity to trust God more. Difficulty builds faith. If you never face difficulty, would you even bother to pray? You'd think you don't need God. God doesn't call people to do things for him. He calls people to do things with him and with others whom he has called to join in the task. When things are the most difficult for you, you can grow in faith and God can receive the greatest glory. These are the times when only a miracle will keep you going. Start by thanking God for all he's already done for you. 
At Movie Guide, we've seen such miracles a number of times. We need another miracle right now if the Movie Guide awards are to continue. We expect a miracle because we have absolutely no doubt about God's calling to redeem the media. It's not just a calling to Ted and Lily Bear. It's never been about Ted and Lily Bear. It's about God's desire to redeem the media. He just called Ted and Lily Bear to play their part in his plan that requires the involvement of many others. You must not let discouragement stop you from doing a job God has called you to do. The greatest reward anyone can receive is to hear from God, Well done, good and faithful servant. Our calling is to redeem the mass media of entertainment. It's exciting to know God wants the media redeemed. It's obvious to all that we can't redeem the media. Only God can. We simply get to play the part God has called us to do. It's not easy. It's a lot of work. There are many opportunities to be discouraged, but the calling is sure, and with each passing year the miracles pile up. Not only that, but we make many friends and converts that bring us great joy. You cannot read Paul's letters without seeing his frustrations and his joy. As difficult as his calling was, he made many close friends along the way. We thank God that this has been the case at Movie Guide. One of our great joys every gala season is, while ministering to the entertainment industry, we get to be joined by many wonderful friends God has called to share in his plan to redeem the mass media of entertainment. Let me thank all of you who've stood with us through the many challenges. You are a blessing from God. Lily Bear, CFO, Movie Guide Television and Good News Communications, Inc. MovieGuide.org This chapter has been narrated by Susanna Roundtree.